This week's TribCast is sponsored by BNSF Railway. At BNSF, we keep our orange house green. In fact, we are committed to a 30% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. For more info, visit bnsf.com. And Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute. Register for a free collaborative problem-solving training from Think Kids and Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute. Find out more at mmhpi.org. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tribcast for Friday, June 2nd, 2023. My name is Matthew Watkins, Managing Editor of News and Politics for the Tribune. And today we're going to talk again about property taxes. Uh, Lawmakers started out this year promising the biggest property tax cut in Texas history. But when the legislative session came to an end on Monday, the Republican leadership in the state couldn't come to agreement on how to do that. And the fighting this week has only intensified as the first week of a special session um, in which property taxes are the headline got underway. There's three main players in this debate, the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the house speaker, the big three, if you will. But you might add a fourth to that list, the Texas Public Policy Foundation, a conservative think tank based down the street from the Capitol on Congress Avenue. It was at a TPPF event on Tuesday that Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick you know, really kind of blasted House Speaker Dade Phelan's approach to running the House this session and seemed to kind of insinuate that Phelan's plan of pushing the tax cut would kind of benefit benefit his real estate trust that bears his name. Uh, meanwhile, Governor Greg Abbott essentially endorsed TPF's, TPF's short and long-term property tax plans, urging lawmakers to adapt them. And Abbott made his own appearance at TPPF on Friday declaring that he wants to eliminate property taxes in Texas altogether. Uh, Joining us here to discuss these developments is James Quintero, the policy director for Texas Public Policy Foundation's Government for the People Initiative, tax policy, one of his key areas of study. And if you've been following this fight over Twitter, you've seen the governor and lieutenant governor quoting his tweets and and in some cases arguing about them as well. (laughs) Uh, Hey, James, thanks for joining us. Matthew, thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're really glad to have you. Um, Also joining us in this conversation is Karen Brooks Harper, who has been covering the budget this session and will be watching this kind of play out over the following week um, as lawmakers try to come to a deal on this. Hey, Karen. Hey, Matthew and James. Good to see you guys. Yeah, thanks for joining us. All right. So I want to just kind of set the table at the beginning. Um, As I mentioned, the big three are in agreement that they want to cut property taxes, and they've agreed to spend around $17 billion to do it over the next two years. Um, Some of that will pay for cuts made in prior sessions, but a big chunk of it, more than $12 billion, will go towards new cuts. This much we know, but what we don't know yet is how those cuts will work. And there's basically, over the course of this debate, been three proposals out there. Uh, the first one I'll mention, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on, is the Dade Phelan plan, which included, you know, spending state money to lower down taxes, but also to lower the appraisal cap, um, basically limiting how much your property could grow to uh, the taxable value of it could grow it at least to 5% each, each year down from 10%. This was uh, not a popular proposal um, for Dan Patrick. Um, some business groups came out against it, worried that it would kind of... Uh, impact the 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 real estate market and i think basically where we are is feeling seemed to move past it this week and instead seemed to focus on 
what we could maybe say the TPPF plan, the Abbott plan, something like that, which is the concept of uh, compression, tax rate compression. And James, that's where I want to start this conversation. If you could sort of just kind of explain to us what they mean when they say compression, what is that doing to your taxes? Well, wow, great question. You know, I think the simplest way to think about what tax compression is, is to uh, is to think of it this way. Tax rate compression is the same as tax rate cutting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, what the what the legislature right now is getting ready to do, I think eventually is use surplus revenue to cut school district maintenance and operations taxes. Um, and they have a particular focus on school taxes. Now you might wonder why. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because that's the biggest part of most people's tax bill. Um, so, you know, when, when the average person pays their taxes, about 55% of the total is on account of school district taxes. And the other 45% tends to be a mix of city, county, and special district taxes. Now, when you look at the school district portion, that usually consists of two buckets. One goes toward maintenance and operations taxes, which pays for your day-to-day stuff. Um, And the other goes to your interest and sinking tax, and that usually pays for buildings. And so, what, what again, what lawmakers are trying to do um, or I think are getting ready to do is use a lot of money to shrink that MO tax. And there's a lot of reasons why I think that's a good thing, but but that's kind of what the what both chambers seem to have agreement on. Now they kind of vary in, you know, one wants to also do a homestead exemption increase and the other wants to do uh, an, an appraisal cap, or at least we're considering it, but the compression element, is where there seems to be a large amount of agreement, I think. <laughs> right, right. And a, a big, I think, there. The, and the idea here is, of course, that you know, property taxes are levied at the local level, but the state can particularly influence school district taxes because school district school funding is basically paid through state and local tax collections. And the, you know, in theory, under compression, the more state funds that you send to, you know, school district. You can then lower the the property tax collection from the um, from from the local level and things like that. Essentially, kind of re- shifting the balance here, right, between between state funds and and uh, and and local tax collections. There, yeah, and, and some in your audience might be wondering, well, you know, how how exactly is the state able to do this? Are we sacrificing services? Um, and, and I would say no, because. Yeah. What the state is doing is they've set aside a certain portion of money to not only fund the existing needs, but also build upon that. In fact, uh, the the legislature passed a $321 billion budget for 2024 and 25. And then in addition to that, or I guess as part of that, they have a $17.6 billion set aside for tax relief. And also, they have $10 billion in unspent GR, and they're expecting a $22 billion fund balance in the Economic Stabilization Fund. So the state is actually enjoying quite a windfall. And with this windfall, they're investing back in into the people, uh, in, into taxpayers. Um, and so, you know, I, I kind of... Uh, uh, you know, it's, it, it's somewhat interesting to me that we're so caught up on the method of delivery 
when mm-hmm. I think conservatives ought to be more focused on how do we get that number up even higher? How do we how do we get the legislature to go even bigger on tax relief um, and, and really help people out who are hurting right now? Um, and, and, you know, based on some of the comments that the governor made today, it sounded like maybe there was a little bit of wiggle room, um, especially if you look at uh, some of the data points that are coming out from the Legislative Budget Board, which show that we're about a billion six under the existing constitutional tax and expenditure limitation. So there's at least a little bit more capacity where we could go bigger on tax relief if the body wanted to. James, and you mentioned that, you know, everyone seems to agree that they want to spend a a major chunk of money on compression. And the question right now that seems to be before the legislature is whether to spend all all the money they've set aside or to save some of that money for homestead exemptions. And the Dan Patrick plan that he has kind of laid out here is expanding the concept of the homestead exempt or expanding homestead exemptions for people. The idea here is basically if you own the home that you live in, you can claim a homestead exemption. Right now that number is $40,000 and you can essentially you know, subtract $40,000 from the taxable, taxable value of your home when you're paying those taxes. Dan Patrick had has proposed um, bumping that up to $100,000. So basically right now, if you have a home that's worth $300,000, under the current rules, you it would be taxed at a value of $260,000. Under this proposed plan, it would go down to $200,000. This is currently not the plan that that governor abbott wants to go with or has talked about and it, it differs from the idea that, that that tppf is pushing why do y'all think that focusing solely on compression is the best way to go great question you know let me just say this at the outset um uh, i'm an all of the above guy uh-huh. and so if the legislature comes forward with a mix of different approaches uh, and, and and those approaches help get tax bills down, then I 110% support it. Now that said, you know, I've been here at the foundation now for 15 years, believe it or not, which is terrifying to think about. And probably for about 13 of those 15 years, I've been on this wild uh, ride trying to educate people on the benefits of eliminating property taxes. And I think it comes down to a property rights question, and maybe we can get into that. But but with respect to this kind of incremental uh, school district M&O property tax elimination plan, there, there are really three benefits here by focusing solely on compression. Now, the first is that it helps homeowners, renters, businesses, and really properties of all type, right? You're you're delivering broad-based relief to the most number of people when you do a tax rate compression plan. The same cannot be said for a homestead exemption increase, right? That that is a concentrated benefit to homesteaders only. Now, as a homesteader, I would probably enjoy that. In fact, I would enjoy it. But <laughs> but let's also recognize that renters and businesses are being left out when it comes to that particular approach. Now, the second reason why we tend to support a tax compression uh, plan is that it eliminates this uh, really bad school district scheme called recapture, which I'm I'm sure most in your audience already know. But, you know, it basically works like this. You take from some to give to others. Um, And I think there are better ways to do school finance 
And, and so by moving that M&O tax rate to zero, what you do is you put Texas on the pathway to eliminating recapture entirely. And then, you know, the third and, and probably the uh, the most important reason in my mind, again, is that by eliminating the M&O tax, um, what we're doing is we're we're recognizing the goal that is that is you know the the broader effort to eliminate property taxes entirely right this is the first step on that ultimate pathway to ending property taxes and moving to a reformed sales tax um approach and so this is, you know, we, we've uh, talked a lot about this issue in the past. There's lots of research on our website documenting how you get from point A to point B, but but ultimately by using surplus revenue to compress that M&O tax rate to zero, we feel like that is the, the first most important marker on the pathway to eliminating property taxes entirely. I want to, there's been a, a, a couple kind of criticisms of this plan, and I, I want to get into the long-term uh, goals of this in a little bit, but first let's sure. talk about what's kind of before us this special session. You know, the, the, the first criticism of it would be, I would say, kind of classify as the Dan Patrick criticism, right? And he has really focused on feeling the need for some kind of home instead exemption. I mean, really for the reason that you cited, which is the idea that homeowners should get a larger tax break than other folks. You know, um, one thing about the homestead exemption is that no matter how valuable your house is, you get the same level of savings. And I'm not sure that Dan Patrick is making this argument, but I, you know, you could make the argument a very significant chunk of the surplus that came into state coffers this year came from the sales tax. The sales tax is, you know, a um, what people call a regressive tax. It's a tax where the lower your income, more likely the higher percentage of your income you'll be paying into the tax. So why not send more of this percentage of the savings? Why not give people who have lower home values a higher percentage of savings than people who have higher values? But then, I mean, I think his more specific argument is that, you know, the Senate plan gives, I'm I'm reading from a, a tweet that he 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 published earlier this week, the Senate plan gives homeowners a permanent $1,200 to $1,450 tax cut. The Abbott slash house plan, which is compression, only gives the average homeowner about $740 because they're giving a significant portion of tax cuts to businesses and the top 20% of highest priced homes. What, what do you think about that argument that he's making there? Well, you're right. You know, we are in the place that we're in because we've had a lot of economic growth, which is translated into sales tax excess. Mm -hmm. And of course, inflation play, plays a big part there, too. Sure. Um, and, and because it's come from such a broad based revenue source, I actually think it's only natural to return it in the broadest way possible, which is, of course, through tax rate compression. Um, I, I certainly understand the attractiveness of the lieutenant governor's plan. Um, but one thing I think, you know, may not be uh, most readily most readily recognizes the fact that when we pass along these tax savings to businesses um, as part of tax compression, you know, those ultimately translate into lower prices for consumers. 
higher wages for employees, uh, more investment gains for those who've invested in those businesses. So, you know, there may not be um, a, a an immediately recognizable benefit to the average taxpayer, but when they go to the store, their stuff is going to be cheaper, or they're going to get a raise, or they're going their investments are going to perform better. And so, those are things that I think may not necessarily be accounted for in in some of the gum, uh, numbers coming out of the upper chamber. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, Karen, I want to pause right here. Uh, before we get into the long-term question and talk a little bit about the short-term politics of this, it's been a very interesting week in the legislature. Um, you know, on Monday when the legislature was wrapping up, usually sort of a ceremonial day for the the two chambers, we kind of went long wondering whether a last-minute tax deal would be struck. That did not end up happening. And then hours later, you know, while many of us were uh, partying and celebrating, you know, having our traditional signy die parties, Abbott calls a special session. And he sort of kind of lays out his chosen path. The governor can control what the lawmakers can kind of discuss the parameters of a special session. And he basically said, you know, I want the lawmakers to consider property tax savings solely kind of centered around the idea of compression. That didn't really seem to settle the debate, though. The House comes in, they pass a bill, a a entirely compression tax cut bill in which and then immediately adjourns sine die, sort of kind of sending the message to Dan Patrick, you know, here's our plan, take it or leave it. Dan Patrick at this point has neither taken it nor left it. He uh, adjourned the Senate for several days. They came back briefly today and will be coming back tomorrow. I mean, Sorry, not tomorrow, early uh, early next week. We seem to be in a stalemate here. I mean, are there any signs of of people kind of, uh, you know, coming to an agreement at this point? Well, that's um, that's first of all, I just want to say that's like the longest question I've been asked ever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well. So. are we do are we seeing signs of an agreement? Well, I, I think that James um, James's point uh, about how there does happen to be agreement on buying down M and O, and there even seems to be, you know, agreement at least publicly on ultimately eliminating all M and O. Right? We hear Abbott saying that. We hear some of that. Um, um, but but you know, beyond that, um, we've just adjourned, or the Senate has just adjourned. When you cover this whole session, you start saying we, even though you're not one of them. <laughs> um, um, they've adjourned uh, until Tuesday. The Senate has. Of course, we know the House has adjourned altogether for the remainder of the session. Um, and uh, and so the Senate is coming back on Tuesday night. So uh, my guess is that it's not nearly as quiet in the back rooms, you know, mm. over the weekend. There's plenty of activity going on where we can't see them, although a lot of it has been happening in public. You've seen a very public kind of war of words. Or debate, you know, a little bit of both, maybe among, you know, Abbott and Dewhurst and, um, you know, the the party really, uh, uh, you know, what I, I thought was interesting in this kind of differences, uh, you know, the head uh, Texas GOP head Matt Rinaldi and uh, is having um, with, you know, the House plan. He's on he he favors the senators' plan. Is he did say um, that he's not convinced that the people um, supporting compression. 
um, are actually really aiming to reduce taxes, which I mean, what to eliminate property taxes, right? The MNO taxes. Um, and so uh, what I heard Abbott say right out of the gate, first thing out of his mouth after property tax was, was, you know, how, um, how they need to eliminate the MNO tax entirely. And that was pretty much his whole message. So, um, you know, I guess where 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 we're seeing some you know agreement is eliminating the the property taxes entirely. But but I mean, we're you know whether we're going to get there this session or the next special session or the next special session after that kind of uh, I don't know. I, someone's going to have to give right. Um, yeah, Abbott I mean, did say he would call them back as many as it took, and he did say that they were going to do property taxes before anything else. Um, I guess except for the border thing that they also did this week, but. Um, you know, school choice and that kind of thing. So, you know, I guess, I guess the very, the short answer to your long question is, um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there's a foreseen any signs of agreement. Do you? I mean, is, is anybody? Yeah, I mean, I think it has been interesting to watch this because um, Dan Patrick is obviously a um, uh, passionate, emphatic uh, lieutenant governor. He does not, he, you know, does not like to back down. And it does seem a little bit like, I mean, we saw him speaking on Tuesday at, at TPPF, as we mentioned at the top of the show, did not seem happy with Dade Phelan, was not happy with the way he run the house, ran the house. And then Dade Phelan came out and really kind of, you know, sort of backed him into a corner there by passing his bill and immediately leaving, basically giving him the choice of sort of, you know, what I think a lot of people would perceive as sort of admitting defeat on this issue or or um or forcing another special session and you know it it is interesting to see this republicans fight this much over tax cuts because you know that's one of the key planks to the the party there but um i don't know it just seems like there's a lot of tension there and there's, they're going to have to figure a way to to help people kind of save some face here and one of the things that i i like to kind of keep in mind and 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 you know the numbers of of how uh how much each homesteader, you know, I'm, I'm a homeowner as well, um, would save, you know, with each plan is going to vary, right? It's going to vary by home value. It's going to vary by, you know, tax rate, school district you're in, just a lot of things. But the numbers that are being thrown out, 1,200, 1,400, you know, 500 for, you know, for in one version of a plan for a, a, a $250,000 house and, and, and 900 in another version of a plan. We're, we're, if we're looking at this, the, the real impact, it's the biggest, one of the biggest ticket items in terms of new money in, in the budget. This, mm -hmm. this year. You know, if, if you add the money from the last plan and the money for the new plan, 17.6 billion, there's not, nothing else that comes close to in terms of that. But you're looking at reality somewhere in the neighborhood between 400, I mean, 40 and $100 a month for uh, somebody with a $350,000 home in an average tax uh, 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 school district taxing situation, right? It's going to vary a little bit, but but that's the, the amount we're talking about, which, and I'm not, you're never going to find me sneezing at 40 bucks a month or a hundred bucks a month or 200 bucks right. a month, whatever. But when we're talking about numbers as giant as 17.6 billion, and I, I I can't imagine there's anybody that would agree with me that would say if there is going to be a tax, you know, a property tax cut, who's going to vote against higher numbers at any point, right? However, it's way more nuanced than that. And what it always helps to remember is uh, this isn't, you know, the, the numbers as they come down is is they're they're 
they're not enormous. And I think that the that where we could probably see agreement with everybody is that down no matter what they do this time, the goal would be to keep working toward lower property taxes for for the people that are fighting right now. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, you for know, sure. I mean, the the real impact on on home on homeowners is very interesting to keep in mind during all this. Definitely, as I was watching this, you know, over the weekend, um, we are of course all very tired after covering a very long session. James, I'm, I'm sure you have your own fatigue there. And I started trying to do the math of like how much would I pay for them to just figure this out and we could all go home and rest. <laughs> and is it less than what I would save on my property taxes? Uh, you know, I'd pay, I'd pay 50 bucks, sure. <laughs> yeah, we could all chip in, yeah. I'll, right. throw, I'll throw a month out of property tax savings That's out right. on that. That's right. All right, well, let's, let's pause for a moment and hear from our sponsors. And then I want to talk about the long-term plans here. DHR Health Level 1 Trauma Center in Edinburgh, Texas, provides the highest level of patient care in four counties in the Rio Grande Valley. With state-of-the-art technology, groundbreaking research, compassionate care for each patient, and is the largest health system south of San Antonio. For more information, visit dhrhealth.com. And Lone Star College Works for Texas, providing real-world workforce training in state-of-the-art facilities to meet employers' demands. Learn more at lonestar.edu. Okay, so James, I want to talk a little bit more about this long-term goal. I believe it was TPPF's number one legislative priority this year to, you know, eliminate or begin the process of eliminating that MNO tax that you talked about. I'd imagine it was probably, you know, pretty exciting to for y'all to see Abbott embrace this idea in the last couple of weeks. I believe it was maybe one of your tweets that he quoted and said, you know, <laughs> I support the TPPF plan here. Does it feel like there's more momentum around that idea than there has been, you know, in the past? Yes. Um, you know, I, I think part of the part of the interest in moving in the tax compression direction is that there's this general frustration that you know over the last several sessions the legislature has taken different steps to try and get a handle on the property tax problem you know mm -hmm. they've done various things like institute revenue limitations they've increased the homestead exemption um you know back in 08 and 09 they actually compressed tax rates by about a third um and they've done all these things over the years to try and and, and wrestle with the bear but unfortunately, it seems like every couple of years, we're just back here in the same situation, um, trying to reimagine how to tackle this problem. And so, you know, I think at least within the conservative movement, that's why there's been uh, something of a spike in, in the interest in our plan, because it offers a permanent solution. Now, we'll, let, me, let, me, let me offer a caveat with that, because the lieutenant governor actually um, made a very good point the other day when he said, look, if we increase the homestead exemption, um, you know, that's a constitutional change that really isn't going to vary over time mm -hmm. um, because it's very difficult to, to change the constitution. If you do a tax compression effort, that's just a statutory change and any future legislature could come in and revisit that issue. And I, I actually, I agree with him. Um, and one of the things that I was pleased to hear from the governor today, I think, is he said something along the lines of, of he hoped the legislature would take up, um, you know, a constitutional amendment to 
pinpoint where we want to go, which is a $0 M&O tax rate, um, and, and by codifying that in the Texas Constitution, um, you know, we set our goal and that's where we're marching to. And, you know, we wouldn't really have to worry about any future legislatures changing our, our course. And so, you know, I, I hope that's something the body considers moving forward because because the lieutenant governor's point is well taken. The legislature does need to do something to make sure that if we're going to embark on this pathway to elimination, we stay the course. Um, and I think we can do that with some some good government changes up at Capitol Hill. Yeah. Well, and, and also the added challenge of figuring out how to replace the money in the school finance system, right? And, you know, with whatever kind of school funding, because you, you would have to do both of those things within the same time frame, I would think. And that's what yeah. you were saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, one of the one of the encouraging bits about being here in in Texas is that our economy is an absolute powerhouse. Um, and I don't see that variable changing necessarily in the near future. Yes, we may be on the cusp of a, a mild to moderate recession, but I think on the long term, Texas's economy is poised to, I mean, just grow leaps and bounds. In addition to that, I think the inflation situation is not going to abate anytime in the near future. We're probably going to endure a period of modest to high inflation which means for state revenue purposes, our sales tax collections are going to be elevated as compared to years past. And so when you marry those two factors together, at least in my mind, what you get is a lot of excess revenue in the years to come. And because the state has done such a good job to enact constitutional and statutory spending limits, that means, you know, by and large, we're not blowing the doors off the budget every time, and we're going to have the ability to enjoy those surplus revenues uh, in the future, which then, of course, raises the question, well, what do you do with them? And at least according to our plan, you would redirect those monies as much as possible, as much as you know makes sense, down to the school district level, and you replace those uh, those finances with surplus dollars over time. And I think we can actually get all of this accomplished in 10 years or less. That's what some really smart people here at the foundation suggest, at least. You know, I I, it, I should note that another thing kind of Dan Patrick said this week is he called that plan. He said that plan is not realistic and everyone knows it. He and he he floated the idea that in order to end property taxes for good, it would this is I'm quoting him here. It would require increasing the local sales tax from around eight and a quarter percent to about 19 percent. I mean, is there a uh, a sales tax increase that would be necessary in order to to do this? So, I mean, that was one idea that was floated, I believe, in 2019, and, and lawmakers ended up rejecting it, right? So, terrific question. Let me offer just one point of clarification, because for a lot of years, what we were trying to uh, encourage the body to consider is this wholesale change moving from the existing property tax system to a reform sales tax. Mm -hmm. And that's really where the Lieutenant Governor's comments are aimed because yes, you would need to adjust the rate and the base. Now, I don't, depending on you know what you actually uh, included in that reform sales tax, I, I, don't, I don't think you'd have to go necessarily above 10%. You could probably actually stay around eight to 9% um, based on some of the recent math we've done on the strength of the economy. But again, we kind of set aside that plan 
for future discussion because it, it ultimately proved to be too much of a paradigm shift at the Capitol. And we tried to scale down our approach. And so really what we're focused on right now is a is an incremental version of that long-term plan, which really, again, focuses just on using surplus tax dollars to get at the M&O part of the equation. And so that would require no sales tax rate or base adjustment. We're only using existing tax dollars that are above the spending limit, and we're trying to get at the problem that way. James, you know, we've talked about the biggest uh, property tax cut in history. The, the the current record holder, I believe, for that is, is 2006, when the state spent billions on reducing the MO by, I believe, one third. Two years later, the economy crashed, you know, and we ended up getting a, a 2011 session that forced the state to cut $31 billion from the budget. 5.4 billion of that ended up being cut from schools. We saw teacher cuts, larger class sizes, and it took multiple sessions to kind of catch up with that. I believe, you know, really it might have been even to the 2019 session where, you know, there was there was more money available to kind of to finally catch up from the cuts that were made. You've mentioned, you know, the there's questions about whether we're headed into a recession. Obviously, 2008 was a, a fairly extreme recession. We call it the Great Recession for a reason. But I mean, I I have to ask about the the kind of what the the second argument I was going to raise, in addition to the Dan Patrick argument against this, was the what about the rainy day uh, argument? What even if Texas's economy is growing at an incredible rate and has been for you know generations now, there. We're also tied to the national economy. There are things that can happen that can kind of, you know, bring down Texas with it. Are we not setting ourselves up for every time we increase the state, you know, we we buy down those taxes as opposed to spending that surplus money on, say, one-time expenses, setting up a situation where when things turn south, we're going to have to make significant cuts to 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 balance the budget? Terrific question. A um, couple of things come to mind on that. One is I feel that the legislature um, has has actually, I think, put a lot of money toward one-time expenses and expenditures of an unusual nature in this current budget. Um, and I think that's why you see kind of the expenditure growth that you do from the 2022-23 biennium to the 2024-25 biennium. And, and, and so for anybody, and I know your audience is in the know, but for anybody who's not, you know, the, the budget that the last legislature passed, the 87th legislature, they, they, they uh, spent $245 billion. That was the budget total in the last 87th regular session. This session, that budget has grown to $321 billion, right? So there's a very sizable increase. Now, um, you know, some of that is, again, they're counting tax relief as an expenditure. So $17.6 billion of that $321 billion is, is embedded within the, within that amount. And then you have money for border security and the grid and school choice. And so again, 
you know, there's lots built into that 321, but all of that to say they, I, I think the legislature has, has uh, really utilized a lot of resources this session. So I don't have as much concern about um, you know, how are we going to provide for needs in the future? Because I feel like we've done a lot this session and we probably need to tap the brakes a little bit as we move forward. But that said, you know, it is a very legitimate concern to raise that, well, what happens if we do all these things on tax relief and we hit a wall? Um, and, and by the way, a lot of economists will tell you that, um, you know, perhaps around the November timeframe, is when they expect the uh, a recession to really take hold in this in this country, and you know Texas is certainly not immune from that. Were that to take place, Texas has ample resources with which to be able to bridge any revenue shortfall. So appropriators, even though they spent a lot of money this session, they didn't spend it all. There's about a ten billion dollar. Uh, set aside in general revenue that is is not being used for anything. There, in addition to that, the uh, we expect that the economic stabilization fund will grow to about twenty two billion dollars by the end of fiscal year twenty twenty five. So you pair those two pots of money together, and you see that you know we've got at least ten percent of the all funds budget sitting off to the side in the event that the economy hits a wall. Now, you know, let's say things get really severe and for whatever reason, those, those sources of revenue are not enough. Well, at that point, then I would suggest that we need to entertain the idea of cutting spending. Um, and, I, and I don't just throw that out there willy-nilly. If anybody wants to, to look at some of the research we put together, um, I've done a lot of work to track tax levy growth over time. In fact, I've got one document out there called Just the Facts, where I literally try to not provide any commentary, but really just the data points for tax levy growth in the 30 largest cities, counties, and school districts in Texas, and then compare that with population and inflation. And for the vast, vast, vast majority of the entities that I studied, all of them are, are exceeding their property tax revenue collections uh, above that population and inflation threshold, leaps and bounds. In fact, some of the large urban school districts um, are actually losing enrollment um, and, and while at the same time their revenues are growing leaps and bounds. And so there's a mismatch there is, is effectively what I'm trying to say. I, I think there's a lot of opportunity based on the data to revisit what we're spending, not only at the state level, but also at the local level. And by the way, let me let, leave you with la one last little tidbit because I found this to be fascinating. Last session during the 87th session, Chairman Dan Huberty stood up on the House floor and he was um, kind of grousing a little bit about a bill that I think Tasby had helped kill. Um, and, and in the process of doing so, what he disclosed was that if you if you took every school district in the state and you combined their excess fund balances together, you would have about $21.5 billion in total money. So basically, school districts are sitting on savings accounts worth more than $21 billion. Now, there is, of course, a, a little bit of a caveat there. TEA requires that school districts 
put aside about 90 days worth of operating expense. But even if you if you were more generous and you took out 110 days worth of operating expense for a rainy day, you would still have more than six and a half billion dollars in monies that are effectively just kind of acting as a slush fund. Um, and, and so, you know, really what this signals to me is that there's an opportunity to cut taxes and be more efficient and do some taxpayer friendly things, not only at the state level, but also at the local level. I think there's plenty of opportunity to do that. All right, Karen, really quickly before we go, next week, the Senate comes back Tuesday night. What are we watching for to see how this actually gets resolved? I guess we're watching to see if they um, if they refer the House bill to a committee, if they have any discussion on the floor about how they might um, move ahead with that, if they do some kind of um, move like adjourning sine die so that the governor can just restart another special session, which is not outside the realm of possibility. Um, unless someone has a reason why they wouldn't do that, but that's, you know, um, or they'll just gavel out for a few more days while they negotiate there. There's the only thing that's going to, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to pull a John Madden here. And the, the only thing that's going to get us over the finish line is when they agree on a plan. <laughs> um, so short of that, there's nothing that could happen on Tuesday. That's going to, that's going to really significantly move uh, until, um, until they do that. So. Well, maybe we will all spend a nice weekend to relax, get some rest, and mm -hmm. we'll come back happier and, and, and ready to negotiate next week. Uh, thank you so much, James, for this great conversation. Thank you, Karen. Thank you to our producer, Justin. And thank you to our sponsors, BNSF Railway, the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute, DHR Health, and Lone Star College. We'll talk to you all next week. Join us in June for a series of events unpacking the 2023 legislative session. We'll have conversations in Dallas, Amarillo, and Houston. Find an upcoming event near you at texastribune.org events.